Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. I'm sitting here trying to find my zen because today has been the most annoying day ever. Okay, I'm trying not to complain. (laughs) I'm really trying, but I've hit my breaking point, okay? And I have to vent for like two seconds in the beginning of this episode because it's one of those days, or it's been one of those days, I guess. It's like 6 p.m. right now, but it's been one of those days when I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, okay? I had the worst night's sleep last night. I'm going on a trip tomorrow and like leaving super early and it's like a lot of moving parts. It's been kind of a nightmare getting it all set up. It's a business trip, but in, you know, I'm going on this trip and I woke up this morning on the wrong side of the bed because I had the biggest nightmare last night. I had a nightmare that, because my sister is actually coming on this trip with me. And I had a nightmare that I accidentally like booked the wrong flight or something and like couldn't get on the flight. My sister was on the plane and she like got there and she was alone and I wasn't there. And it, it just like was a really totally realistic dream. That was a nightmare. You know, it was, it was just, it could have happened. Like it was very real. And I woke up in a hot, panicked sweat. And from there on out, my day has just been chaos. Like everything has gone wrong. My workout this morning was really good. And then after that, like that was the good part of the morning, good part of the day. And then everything after that has just been such a nightmare. Like so many just like issues with clients, like things that I have you know, needed to edit and fix. And then I also had to pack and this dress that I got that I thought was going to fit just did not fit right. And then I went to get a manicure and I accidentally chipped my nail on the way out and had to go back and get it fixed. And like that happened. Then I got here like home and I was like sitting down to upload some footage that I filmed yesterday or not upload it, but load it into my editing program to start editing. I'm going to I'm going to finish it on the plane, but I just wanted to start and I was trying to load it onto this external hard drive because I don't have enough space on my computer because no one ever does. I swear like I, you know, MacBooks just don't have enough space. So always have to get external hard drives for projects and was trying to load it onto this hard drive and accidentally deleted some like some things off the hard drive. Like I don't even know how it happened, but I accidentally deleted this podcast episode. Like I had recorded this episode yesterday. I was trying to get ahead of things for before my trip because I knew I'd be stressed. And I accidentally deleted the episode I recorded yesterday, which after I recorded that episode, I was like, this is my best episode ever. And of course, I deleted it. So we are recording it again. (laughs) So anyway, things have been really stressful. I feel like leading up to a trip, they always are. But I'm trying to keep my head up, like trying to stay on the bright side. I am excited for my trip. It's going to be with my sister. We're going to Vegas. It's for a business opportunity, which I will share with you guys, obviously at a later date. But, um, you know, it, it just, it's been a lot. I know I'm going to be happy when I'm there, but being my own boss is proving to be very difficult in situations like these, because I have a lot of moving parts in my job, like things that are happening, whether I'm here or not. So, you know, it just, it adds an extra layer of stress. And I'm one of those people who, when I don't have control of every single situation in my life, I feel untethered. Like I feel like I'm a paper bag blowing in the wind, like, or plastic bag, (laughs) Katy Perry style. But anyway, we're going to carry on. We're going to be fine. This is just a, uh, a little love letter to all of you. If you are feeling stressed today, I am right there with you. If you are feeling like everything is going wrong, I am right there with you. And this episode is really, I think, going to help all of us just talking through it because this is the last episode before Valentine's Day. 
I feel like a lot of us proclaim that Valentine's Day is a stupid holiday. It's a Hallmark holiday, but it still does make people feel a little bit sad every year. I mean, this is the 26th Valentine's Day where I haven't had a Valentine that I cared about, <laughs> like someone that I'm like in love with. So I obviously feel some type of way. I was walking to my workout this morning behind this couple that was just making out. It was like way too early to witness the swapping of saliva on a random New York City street, but that's what I saw. And after that, I was like, okay, that's cute, good for them. But I also just like felt this sinking feeling of like, oh, darn it, when's this gonna happen for me? I'm like, it's way too early for me to be feeling like this. <laughs> so, you know, if you are one of those people that feels a little sinking feeling in your heart and you think, well, you know, like it's kind of like a sad, a sad feeling where you're like, but I'm I'm a good person. Like I, oh, it's just heartbreaking. But this is how I feel sometimes. I, I, you know, see myself thriving, and I'm really proud of myself. Like I have really been focusing recently on finding ways to be proud of myself every day. Even today, like the worst day ever, I have been you know really proud of myself in in small moments, small things where I'm like, wow, I'm still keeping my head up. I'm recording an episode again. I'm really annoyed, but I'm going to do it and I'm really proud of myself for having that mentality. And you go through life and you have these moments where you're proud of yourself or you're really inspired by yourself, which is a revolutionary concept obviously because there's a lot of ways where or days where we don't feel so proud of ourselves and we're kind of down on ourselves and we're mad about how we look in certain clothes and things like that, but I think in those moments where you do have that surge of pride, you do have this sinking feeling sometimes if you're single, like, how am I still single? Like, what do I have to do to change myself further to be better? Like, and it's a really devastating thought. So I was actually on Reddit the other day, just scrolling around, poking around. I'm obsessed with Reddit. You guys know how I feel about Reddit. It's where I find a lot of my good little tidbits for episodes, good little stories. And I found this post on there and I was actually watching a TV show and had to fully just like pause the TV show because I was so enthralled by this post. It stopped me dead in my tracks and it's really relevant for anyone who's feeling just extremely single right now and very just down about the, like they take it personally, which is just my biggest flaw. I feel like I always take everything so personally, which I'll get into, but I want to read this post and debunk it, talk about it. And there's also a comment on this post that I want to talk about. There's just a lot of good stuff. So kick back. We're going to read this Reddit post. Also, I can't believe I didn't say this earlier. I have an amazing story from history I'm sharing at the end of this episode or the second part. I have an amazing woman from history that her story actually really ties in to this concept that I'm going to debunk and talk about first, which really kind of, it kind of all hovers around this general idea of really working hard, grinding in your day-to-day, -day, really killing it in a lot of aspects of your life. And then you sit back and you're like, wait, why am I not killing it in the dating realm? So that's kind of the first part of what we're going to talk about. And then second part is kind of rel relates to that in the sense of men in straight relationships, in straight male-female relationships, men making us feel inferior, and the story I'll be sharing from history has to do with science, has to do with a discovery 
So it's not romantic, <laughs> but this woman from history who is a remarkable woman, she was also diluted by men. Her idea, her discovery was stolen from her and many people do not know her name. So we're going to talk about her in the latter part of the episode, but first let's just, you know, spill some tea and talk about this Reddit post because I am just, I'm still heated about it. And honestly, given my mood today, I think this is just a perfect thing to talk about because I get very fired up over these things. Okay. I'm very fired up right now. Feeling, feeling very, uh, hype. Okay. So let's just talk about this. I'm going to read the question. It was actually posted in this forum, um, that I'm in, like I'm in a, a million different forums on Reddit. And I just like poke around. I don't even know what my username is on Reddit. I think it's like something so weird, but I'm going to read the question and then I'm going to read a comment and then we're going to just dive on in. And I promise you there's going to be some good stuff on earth here. Okay. So here is the question. It says, it's actually kind of like, it's brutal. It says a lot of men are unimpressive, cheap and bloody annoying. It makes me wonder if some HVW which I had to Google, it means high value women. It makes me wonder if some high value women are just going to be single forever. Obviously, I do not revolve my life around men, but having a good partner wouldn't hurt, especially because I'm human and I need sex too. <laughs> I can do everything alone, but I really want to have safe and good sex. It seems like there are more good women out there than men. Are some high value women destined to be alone? Any advice for women like me who can't seem to find a good guy worthy of a relationship? Honestly, relatable AF. Okay. This is just, this is everything I was just talking about. It's when you feel like you are independent, you can do things on your own, you're killing it in other ways. And you're really, you know, on the right path in other ways, but you just can't seem to figure this out. You can't seem to find someone that matches your energy and that doesn't make you feel like shit, like that you actually want to be with and you actually want to be intimate with and things like that. So if you are feeling this way, like here is the best possible response that, you know, could be given to this that really, really reassured me. And this commenter, their name is actually The Wet Dog. The, this is the response I'm about to read. The wet dog. I wish I knew their name because I want to be their friend. Like this response is just iconic. This is what the commenter said. Being single and dating forever, being perpetually looking if you're a romantic, isn't being doomed. Doomed is being in a dead-end relationship or marriage for one, two, four, or 10 years. And when you look back, you knew you should have dumped him at five months. Whenever I think of my, quote, failed relationships, personally, I at least have the comfort that it was give or take a year with each guy, seeing and doing new things, living a new life and new adventures. I'd much rather that, much rather have a new boyfriend every year for the next 20 years than have spent five years in a forever girlfriend situation with some chump who's no longer in the picture or spend the next 10 years with a guy whose kids I bred and now rolls his eyes at me and makes me feel like the biggest drag on earth. It's really well written. Your question implies a binary. Will I succeed in finding a high value man and having my happily ever after, or am I doomed to not find him? If only it were that easy. True, doom is when you destine yourself to give up and settle for could be worse in order to not be alone. That is so, so relatable. Like, 
could be worse. Like just settle with this guy who's actually, he's good on paper. He's cute, but you know, cause it could be worse. It could be worse. I could be alone. Being single is not the worst outcome. I'd rather live. I'd rather fall in love, have fun, bond, have sex, see the world through someone new, someone younger, older, different. I'd rather start over 20 times than beat a dead horse with the last scraps of my dignity, mental health, and optimism. It's scary. I know you can feel that because of your age, your baggage, your looks, your financial situation, your whatever, that you don't have many options or any at all. Even though you may know you deserve better, you may think this is the only man you're going to get and he's not that bad and there is no perfect man, right? I feel you. And we're not going to tell you here that your Prince Charming high value man is out there. But if what you want is love at least try again to find it. Do you want love or do you want a man? Be brave and act tough. Be ruthless in the pursuit of your own best interests, even though you feel like an imposter. With time, your character will grow to fill out those badass actions you've taken and they will become second nature. If you want the romance and the fun and the enjoyment and the excitement of dating, by all means do so. But This is the best part, guys. Okay, listen up. This is it. Do all those things, but fire and replace men as needed. Fire and replace men as needed. Fire and replace. Wow, what a concept. And as swiftly as needed. So technically, you won't be alone, but your rotation will be quick and agile because you chuck them as soon as they mess up. But I say better to date four men in a year and toss each at three months when he blows it than let the same one make a fool out of you for 365 plus days. Woo. Oh my God. That is just wow. I'm going to link this exact post in the show notes of this episode if you guys want to read all the other comments and like the reactions to this comment, because honestly, this was the pep talk that I needed. And therefore I had to share it with you guys because I have a knack of like just sharing everything. I'm like, that's cool. Like, let's share that. That's something I can really sink my teeth into and make it a reality in my life. So that was just incredible. Basically it is, it should not be a shameful thing to experience multiple guys a year or a month or whatever you want to do, like going through the motions of dating. And once you realize in your bones, this person is not good for you, there's red flags being presented. You don't want him in your life, firing and replacing as needed. Like that commenter said, I feel like I often am insecure in talking about these things because I feel judgment. Like I feel that people judge me for not having a solid boyfriend and for, you know, dating all these different people and trying to find my match and like striking out. And then like I talk about someone one day and then I don't talk about them the next day. And I feel like people are are always DMing me and they're like, what went wrong? Like what happened? And it's one of those things where I'd rather that I would rather play musical chairs than be with someone that's wrong for me just for the sake of being with someone. And this comment, this just really put it into words for me what it means to be picky and how it's actually a good thing and high value women, people in general, like women, men, no matter what your love looks like, high value people, they're picky and it's not a bad thing. And I just really needed to read this ahead of Valentine's Day. Like you should surround yourself like 
have people in your life, in your circle that are high value people that see eye to eye with you or that you can have healthy disagreements with, but you still have love in that relationship at the end of the day. And maybe not love, but respect, you know? And I think that just we all needed to hear that. We all needed to hear that. It tends to be very crushing when you look at your life and it doesn't have something in it that you obviously anticipated. Like all those years ago when I really looked at my life when I was like 15 years old and made YouTube videos about it, I always envisioned myself finding someone by now that was like my end all be all. Like I really thought that that was going to happen for me and it hasn't yet. And instead of being upset about it, I have to remind myself that there were opportunities that I didn't take because it just wasn't right. And I think that you guys, like if you are feeling insecure in this, you should remind yourself of that as well. Because oftentimes it's easy to put all the blame on other people or like just, you know, and not see it for what it is that you are being picky and it's a good thing. Okay. And yeah, that's just kind of like the mentality I want to take with dating you know, here on out and on Valentine's day, I'm going to remind myself of this message as well. I think it's something we all need to hear the guys that I've been in contact, like, you know, I've dated or almost dated over the years. I think I have this horrible way of ending things where not necessarily on like their end or our end, but on my end, like when I end things with someone, I kind of turn around and I blame it all on myself. I blame everything on myself. I am really hard on myself. I blame the fact that I'm single on me being too much or me disclosing too much too soon, being emotionally slutty, as Carrie Bradshaw says. Like, oh, there I there I've gone again. Like I've messed up another thing that could have been so good if I wasn't so needy or disclosed too much information, told him all about my career and my aspirations that don't really make sense to him. Or I always just you know blame it on myself, which is a really horrible thing to do coming out of a relationship or a situationship. But that's just what I tell myself that I'm so, so, so wrong in doing that because a lot of times, guys, the way that people act in the dating realm, like, for example, a guy only wanting to see me on the weekend, which is a huge red flag for me. It just it just shows that they don't want to put in the effort to see me during the week, which I obviously know that work is a thing and late hours are a thing, but I don't want to be someone's weekend girl. I don't. And so things like that, I always kind of blame it on myself. Like I say to myself, oh, because I saw him on the weekend, our first day, I set the precedent. Like it's me. (laughs) It's so messed up that I do that. So in that example, I always blame that on myself when really this sort of tendency not putting in effort, only wanting to see me on the weekends, just like any sort of red flag, that thing says everything about them and really nothing about me. This failed situationship says nothing about me, except the only thing it does say is that I was brave enough to keep my heart open and to try again with this person and it just didn't work out. And that is life, okay? I got back on the horse and I tried it again and it didn't work out and that shows bravery, So when you are coming out of maybe a failed situationship of sorts or someone that just didn't see you, don't take it so personally. That's what I'm trying to tell myself at least. You know, I hate that I let guys and dating make me feel small. I hate that I let people 
walk all over me and I apologize for things I shouldn't apologize for, like things that I shouldn't feel sorry for. So speaking of men undermining women's greatness, I have a story for you all today. And this one is probably the best story I've ever told. Okay. I I know I'm like setting this up, like setting the stage pretty, uh, high. What's the the phrase that I'm looking for? Like giving you high expectations, but I don't even care because this woman's incredible and she's just largely unknown, which is so messed up. I feel like a lot of people who are listening that are in the science realm, like their career or their aspiration is in science might know this woman, but many of us, uh, myself included as of last week, did not know who she was. And that is a crime. So today we're going to talk about some shitty men, (laughs) some sleazy men, but mostly about a woman who was given so many reasons to hide away, but decided not to. Okay. That's, that's the story. And she was a smart cookie. So let's just dive on in. The discovery of the DNA double helix. So the official way that DNA, which contains every living thing's unique genetic code, the way that it's structured This discovery is often attributed to these two men, James Watson and Francis Crick, and they even won the Nobel Prize for the discovery in 1962. However, this discovery they did not make on their own. In fact, the first person to capture the photographic image of the double helix, which as we know now is the structure of DNA, was a British biophysicist named Rosalind Franklin, a woman. This is her story, all about her greatness, how this discovery was stolen from her, and ultimately how she didn't let men make her feel small. Rosalind Elsie Franklin was born in London on July 25th, 1920. She was the second of five children in a prominent Jewish family, and her parents believed strongly in education and public service, and they even helped settle Jewish refugees from Europe who had escaped the Nazis, taking two escaped children into their home. Rosalind was clever, strong-willed, and interested in cricket and in hockey, and she even spent her free time doing arithmetic for fun, even at a young age. Can't relate to that. Definitely did not want to do that when I was young, but this just shows she was definitely cut from a different cloth. She was a very smart girl, and she didn't let the fact that she was a girl growing up in the 1920s deter her from having interests that maybe weren't so girl-like for the time, like cricket, hockey, and wanting to do something aside from being a housewife and having kids and maybe potentially being a secretary. Like She had bigger aspirations because at just 11 years old, she enrolled in St. Paul's Girls' School in West London, which was one of the few girls' schools in London that taught physics and chemistry. Her mother later noted that all her life, Rosalind knew exactly where she was going, and at 16, she took science for her subject. Like, imagine, I guess, yourself at 16, what you were what you were thinking about, what you aspired to be. I think at 16, I was kind of leaning towards the, I wanted to be Andy Anderson and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Like, I wanted that life. I just, but you know, I was kind of like a pipe dream. Like I didn't know exactly. I really didn't know truly what I wanted to study in college or anything. And she knew at 16 that science was her thing. Like imagine that. Science was Rosalind's passion, and she would continue to sharpen her skills in this realm by enrolling in Newnham Women's College at Cambridge University, where she studied physical chemistry. 
A few years after graduation, Rosalind moved to Paris, where she perfected her skills in X-ray crystallography, which would become her life's work. Like, this was her bread and butter. Although she loved the freedom and lifestyle of Paris, she ended up returning after four years to her old stomping grounds in London to accept a job at King's College. Rosalind could at times be short-tempered and stubborn, and some of her fellow scientists found working with her to be a challenge. And I imagine, guys, that the labs that Rosalind worked in were likely primarily run by men, and I doubt they liked working alongside a woman who might have been smarter than them, and she probably was. <laughs> I just can't imagine this sat well with them. And honestly, guys, the story just gets even crazier from here in this kind of regard, so just buckle up. Among the men that Rosalind would work with at King's College was a man named Maurice Wilkins, and I don't even care if I'm saying his name right because he is scummy, okay? We don't like him. Maurice Wilkins is in the burn book. We are putting him in the thick and thin burn book. But the two of them, so Rosalind and Maurice, did not see eye to eye, and it almost seemed like they hated each other. The two were there to work on finding out the structure of DNA, really cracking the code. But their conflicts, like they really just didn't get along, led them to basically working on their own. Like they ended up splitting up and did solo work on the project. While Rosalind was actually totally okay with this, which I totally understand why she would be. I mean, everyone at this lab hated her and this guy was a jerk and she was smart and driven and was determined to figure this out on her own. So she just, you know, kept her head down and did it on her own. But on the other hand, Maurice Wilkins went looking for other people to work with, aka men, other men to work with, at a lab in Cambridge where his friend Francis Crick was working with James Watson on building a model of the DNA molecule. So he went off with them and, you know, worked with these two other guys while Rosalind was on her own. In January of 1953, James Watson visited Maurice Wilkins at King's College. While visiting, Maurice showed Watson one of Rosalind's X-ray diffraction images of DNA. So she had captured this image, which I'll get into the details of this. And she had like, you know, stored it and he had taken it without asking her and showed this other dude. So Rosalind had no idea that her images were being shown to anyone. It was like her her work, okay, her prized work. And Maurice Wilkins was basically scum of the earth showing them without her permission. And this just boils my blood. Okay, guys, like I'm already in a stressed out mood today and this just stresses me out even more that someone did this. So the picture that was shown to James Watson was the clearest image of a DNA molecule at the time, taken with Rosalind's skill in X-ray crystallography, which we might recall she worked on perfecting. This was like her bread and butter, like I said, back when she was in Paris. And this is just, it's so fascinating. I just want to take a second away from these scummy men and talk about how she captured this image because it was the 50s. Technology was a bit different then. And the way that she did this was so interesting. So she was experimenting with DNA fibers one day in May of 1952. And in order to get a good image of it, she stretched a DNA strand across a paperclip and mounted it to a piece of cork. 
exposed it to x-rays for a total of 62 hours. So the x-rays were essentially sent through the DNA strand and the path was captured on sensitized paper exposing the structure. If you look closely at the photo, you guys should Google it. It's called uh, Photo 51 if you guys Google the image. You could just see there's this prominent X like in the center of the image, which was caused by the now known helix shape of DNA, the double helix shape. So this was revolutionary news for the time because it was the 50s and no one knew what DNA looked like yet. Like now I think of it in my head, I reflect back on chemistry and all the classes I took in middle and high school and I can see it in my head, but at the time they didn't know what it looked like. And obviously this discovery led to so many more discoveries, but Maurice what a jerk, likely out of spite, showed this photo that Rosalind had captured to James Watson. And this is what James said. This was his first reaction when he saw the photo that she had taken. He said, the instant I saw the picture, my mouth fell open and my pulse began to race. The pattern was unbelievably simpler from those obtained previously. Moreover, the black cross of reflections, which dominated the picture, could only arise from a helical structure. This photo, like I said popularly, it's called Photo 51, taken by Rosalind, was James Watson's inspiration because, as he said, the pattern was clearly a helix. And this just really expedited the process of putting together his model that he was working on. And guys, this is actually what infuriates me the most. I mean, I, there's a lot of things that make me mad here, but this detail infuriates me beyond. So Watson and his collaborator, Crick, weren't even doing lab research on the structure of DNA. They just used this photo and combined it with their own data. And then from that, they created this DNA model that's now famous and smacked their names on it. Okay, and now it's in like history textbooks and whatever with their names. I, oh, so mad. And they even got their hands on an internal King's College London research report that was written by Rosalind and was about her DNA images. And from that report, Crick determined that DNA contains not one, but two strands with each strand running in opposite directions. So they got their hands on this report and that is when they figured this part out. So putting it all together, putting all the pieces together, they were able to figure it out. All of their groundbreaking realizations about DNA came directly from Rosalind's brain. They stole what was rightfully hers. She ended up passing away at just 37 years old due to ovarian cancer, which we'll get into a bit later. But after her death, Francis Crick finally said something. He finally said that our contribution with Photo 51 had been critical to the discovery. So it was only like after she died, which is so heartbreaking. And she was never given the Nobel Prize. Like she's, you know, been credited since in other ways. Like people are finally catching on. But for many, many years, I'm sure these men were applauded for something that they didn't even fully do. And okay, I'm going to just really heat things up a bit more with this next part, like you're going to, you're going to freak out. James Watson was a freaking jerk. He was one of the guys that was working on the model that Maurice Wilkins showed the photo to. This guy, James Watson, wrote this book called The Double Helix. And in the book, he said some absurd things about Rosalind, okay? Only after stealing her 
her brain, okay? He said he criticized her, quote, choice not to emphasize her feminine qualities. That's verbatim. And her lack of, quote, even a mild interest in clothes. Like, okay, what does dressing well or like even just like clothes at all have to do with being an amazing scientist? That's the worst. That's a low blow, but like a really stupid blow. It's like a really stupid argument. Like, oh, she has no fashion sense. Like, whatever. I'm sure she didn't even care. Like, she was more interested in solving this mystery, figuring out all the things that you took credit for. Like, I I just like have a bone to pick with this guy. If he wasn't dead, I would march up to his door and have a word to say. But okay, so it continues. Like he even said because of her, quote, belligerent moods, colleagues knew she either had to go or be put in her place. I am just, I'm so mad. Imagine someone saying that about a man, but it was the fifties and times were different. Obviously, women were not expected to be scientists in the 50s, and they were not celebrated as scientists in the 50s, which is really, really unfortunate. So Rosalind's Photo 51 ultimately helped scientists learn more about the 3D structure of DNA, which has ultimately enabled scientists to truly understand DNA's role in heredity, which has led to other things as well. Like Obviously, things have snowballed since then, all because of this discovery. So back to the story, the tensions that Rosalind faced at King's College drove her out and onto a new path. Honestly, thank God, because I would not want to spend any more time in this place either. And I'm sure all the guys that were stealing her work were really upset when she left because her brain was out the door, like she was done. So after that, she went on to continue her work at Birkbeck College, where she joined a man named John Bernal, an x-ray crystallographer, love it, known for promoting the careers of women. And it was here where she worked on the structure of RNA, which I actually recall learning about in high school. Like that just like rang so many bells when I was reading that. So she worked on the structure of RNA and she also studied the tobacco mosaic virus, which was the first virus shown to be harmful to a living organism, the tobacco plant. So she did work in both of those things, among other things. And it was during a trip to the U.S. in 1956 when Rosalind started to notice her clothes weren't fitting her anymore. When she returned back to London, Rosalind was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, which was the result of mutations in the DNA of her own cells. And I'm sure this, I mean, this would be devastating to anyone, but especially a scientist who has dedicated her life to the study of this thing that was slowly killing her. Like this is, it must've been devastating. You know, the the very molecule she was striving to understand better was responsible for her ultimate downfall. But Rosalind didn't let the cancer derail her work. Of course, we love her. She's so passionate. And so she published about six more scientific papers in both 1956 and 1957. And she ended up passing away that following year in April of 1958. So even, you know, she had a short life. She was 37 years old when she passed away, but she accomplished so much in her 37 years. I mean, imagine if she had had more years, what she would have gone on to do. She might have even discovered something we don't even know yet, like all these years later. Who knows? I want to read this quote that Rosalind said back in the 40s. She said this really amazing quote, which really just, 
it really just shows who she was and how badass she was, despite all of these, you know, all these variables that were trying to take her down, all these men in her life that didn't see her, that didn't understand her, that didn't respect her. This quote just, it just tells you all you need to know about her. So she said this, she said, science in everyday life cannot and should not be separated. Science, for me, gives a partial explanation of life. It is based on fact, experience, and experiment. I agree that faith is essential to success in life, but I do not accept your definition of faith. All that is necessary for faith is the belief that by doing our best, we shall come nearer to success, and that success in our aims, the improvement of the lot of mankind, present and future, is worth attaining. And she wrote this in the summer of 1940. I just, I love that she said that, you know, all that is necessary for faith is the belief that by doing our best, we'll come nearer to success. That's just, it's so inspiring. I just, oh, I freaking love her. I mean, honestly, I, I feel for Rosalind. I can't imagine how lonely and misunderstood she felt in that lab Being a woman who is so passionate about science and about physics and about chemistry, all the things that are encompassed by science, I think science is an umbrella term for all these things, I hope, all the people that study science and are scientists of of any sort, STEM people out there are probably like, Katie, what the heck are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. I'm trying. To the best of my ability, I'm trying to describe this, but I feel so hard for her because I have definitely felt, like I said in the beginning of this episode, I mean, not in the same way that she was, but I felt I felt in my life diluted by men. I felt like my tequila was being mixed with water when I'm surrounded by them. Like everything about me, I had to dial back and tone down because I was afraid of being too much. And Rosalind really shows, her story really shows that perseverance, like in bravery in your field will lead to discovery. And it it sucks that some people will take credit for your greatness. They really will. And you'll see this throughout your life. And it was one of those things where like, it it was not given up willingly. Like she had no idea that her photo was being shown and that she wasn't going to be credited. And it it was, it's really sleazy how it was done. I don't know how it happened. It's really just, just absurd. And I am so mad (laughs) for so many reasons, but you know, Rosalind Franklin, let's remember her name, remember her story, remember how she did not let this discovery being stolen from her stop her. She went on to, you know, do so many more things in her short life and she would have kept going if she could. And that's inspiring. Even after you're knocked down and stolen from and shown so many reasons to quit and to give up because what you do might not be remarkable ever. Like at that point in time, women didn't know things were going to get better. And there was a big chunk of history where women couldn't vote. Women couldn't have bank accounts. You guys know I talk about this all the time. The fact that things have gotten so much better for us and yet we still deal with the pay gap. And there's so many ways that women of color are treated badly. And it's just, we have so much progress to still be made, but still we've come a long way and Rosalind shows that you know the way that we should be we should we should not sit down when we're kind of told to by people that try to overpower us men and women alike we're going to come in contact with people that try to dull our sparkle and try to make us feel bad for just being ourselves and that it's hard because it's easier said than done to get back up even after we're knocked down, even after we, 
you know, do these things where we tend to blame ourselves for things that aren't our fault, but we have to, there's just no other way to do, you know, it's like, you don't have another option. You have to get back up. You have to, I mean, you can rest and you can let things marinate. Okay. You can journal about things. You can really think things uh, you know, through and really consider how things went and your feelings. You can talk to a therapist. You can, you can feel deeply. You can, you can let things affect you, but don't let it stop you. Stories like these are just so crucial to talk about. And it's crucial to admit things like this, that, you know, admit like me sitting here admitting these things to you that I tend to blame things on myself and I feel really hopeless a lot of the times in my romantic life and even in my career life, I feel that way as well. These emotions are valid and should be talked about because you are not alone in your struggle if you deal with similar things. You're not. So I have this quote I want to close this episode with and it's by Robin Williams not to quote a man after being so girl power heavy, but we love Robin Williams. Rest in peace. He was a remarkable man. And he said this quote that I just want us to think about and let sink in and really marinate. And it says this, it says, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is ending up with people who make you feel all alone. And that really brings us full circle with this episode with the beginning Reddit post anecdote about high value women and firing men from your life and also Rosalind's decision to continue on even after these men had wronged her. And she, you know, the fact that she left that lab and chose a different place to work with a guy who just, I don't know, respected her, like another scientist that respected her. Okay. Like the bare minimum, she got herself out of that bad situation. So it would never happen again. And her work from there on out was hers. And it was probably a tough decision to do that, but she did. She got herself out of that bad situation. It's all about firing the toxic people in your life, okay? Obviously, I want to say it is important to surround yourself with some people that disagree with you, some people that challenge you because obviously you need to have people like that in your life. Like my friends, I love my friends because we are similar in so many ways, but we also have differences. We also have ways where we don't always agree and that challenges us. It makes us grow as humans. But if you are not being respected, there is a way where you can disagree with someone and maybe butt heads every once in a while with people. And you're going to come in contact with people who don't see eye to eye with you. There's just like no way around that in many context, you know, even just like going to a coffee shop and having a rude person helping you like that's just, it's just life. But you know, you shouldn't trap yourself in toxic relationships when you don't need to be there. Okay. When it's maybe just more comfortable to stay there because quitting things and breaking up with people and firing people is hard. It's definitely not an easy thing to do, but I hope that all of us find the bravery and the courage to leave situations that no longer suit us, that no longer grow us, that we're no longer happy in and take care of business, take care of them, okay? So that is my episode, guys. Hope this was a good little dose of something in your day. And I hope it wasn't too angsty because I'm clearly high energy today, but hope you all enjoyed this episode. Happy almost Valentine's Day, Galentine's Day, girl power. Okay. We're killing it. I will talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye. Bye.